We dwell in an age of change, a world in which few things can be considered stable. Least of all, the lineup of the Defenders, a publicly unknown superhero alliance that exists only informally at best. Yet, Dr. Stephen Strange, master of the mystic arts, has always remained a deceptively stable element of the non-team. He has been their leader and their bulwark of their strength, until now that is, for he has just resigned. My name is Conrad and welcome to the 15th episode of Stranger by the Dozen, a weekly podcast where we recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, 12 issues at a time. This week I'd like to welcome Duncan back to the show. Welcome back, Duncan. It's like I've been here the entire time. Nah. Okay. You weren't here for two episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you can find the show on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and on any fine podcast app. You can contact the podcast at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com, on Twitter at strangerbythetwelve, at strangerbythe12, on Tumblr at strangerbythedozen.tumblr.com, or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Stranger by the Dozen. Give the show a five-star review, and I'll read the review on the air. And if you want to read along with the podcast this week... Today's Doctor Strange and Tomb of Dracula issues, except for the Doctor Strange annual, can be found either online on Marvel Unlimited or in Essential Doctor Strange Volume 3. You can find the Incredible Hulk issue in Essential Incredible Hulk Volume 6. This is our special pre-Halloween issue. I mean, I guess they all are, right? Yeah, but this one there. more so than the others. <laughs> except for that one with Frankenstein what. and then that one with yeah. Spooky Ghost House. Uh, <laughs> Like all of the ghosts. I mean, you know, Dracula's year-round in the Marvel Universe. He's not specifically a Halloweeny. <laughs> okay. I mean, except for the fact that he's Dracula. Anyhow, <laughs> let's start, though, with Defenders 46 from April 1977. Who remembers Scorpio? Roger Sliffer and David Kraft writers. Keith Giffen and Klaus Jansen artists. Irving Watanabe letterer. David... Hunt colorist, Archie Goodwin editor. So this issue starts seconds after the end of the last episode, where Doctor Strange has quit the Defenders. Oh no! For everyone else, that is. I mean, you know, for sure. Uh, as we'll see later this episode, Doctor Strange has lost the title of Sorcerer Supreme. And now he needs to focus on his mystic studies if he's going to be able to continue protecting the Earth from magical threats. He can't hang out with superheroes anymore. Uh, Nighthawk is basically fine with this until both Luke Cage and Tanya Belinsky, uh, the Red Guardian, also quit the team. And they're just falling uh, apart. Yeah, it's like when you have like a club in school and one person leaves and suddenly just starts disintegrating. <laughs> so she's the one that looks uh, like Batman, right? She's kind of... She's kind of Batman-y. Her, well, her helmet looks exactly yeah. like Batman. Oh, I don't know, man. No, uh, that's... Uh, you're thinking of uh, Hellcat. Oh, okay. Because Hellcat has those drawn-on eyebrows like the 60s TV Batman. Yeah, like spot for spot. Okay. Yeah. No, Red Guardian is the one in red with, like, the white fin on her head. I should have been able to figure that out from context clues, probably. <laughs> But so, you know, the reasoning is like Luke Cage is a lone wolf and he doesn't like to be part of teams and stuff. Plus, like he was sort of brought on to be a bruiser while the Hulk was sort of out of commission. And now there's two people vying for that bruiser role. And if you're Marvel Comics, then the Hulk is definitely the best choice just sort of to get meta on you. Yep. And then uh, Red Guardian has to go back to Russia, basically. They're just thinning out the team. Like, so apparently the Marvel brass is really attached to this idea of the Defenders being, like, a non-team, 
which is kind of despite the fact that it's had roughly the same roster for the last two years. I think that's like a hard sell just because, yeah, they're a non-team, but every time something happens, guess what? They're a team. So Yeah. No, it's a it's a weird choice and something weird to focus on. But because of that, they basically just decided to shake things up to keep things interesting. Yeah. You know, your defenders team is now Valkyrie, Hellcat, the Hulk and Nighthawk as team leader. Goodbye. Strange. And, yeah, you know, he's out of here, although actually Clea sticks around on the team a little bit from time to time. That's cool. Yes, like she sort of provides some magical backup when they need it. Can you remind me which team is Wong on in his spare time? Oh, jeez, you and your Wong. <laughs> <laughs> Wong's on team make make tea for the tea for whoever shows up. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm I'm not going to sort of follow Clea's specific adventure with the defenders, though we might at some point do like a, like a Clea cast a Clea cast of of her solo adventures. Yeah. Clea by the dozen, maybe. Meanwhile, to all this, Jack Norris is still on the run, and we learn the identity of his pursuer, and it's Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now I don't know how to feel. Actually, I do. Uh, Go Nick Fury. Yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> okay. yeah. Whatever with Jack Norris. Still, uh, back to the Defenders, you know, they realize that they can't really run their super team from the living room of a guy who's no longer on the team. <laughs> so That's always a bummer when your clubhouse gets shut down. It's it's tough. Luckily, they already have a backup clubhouse back upstate where they where uh, Aragorn the Pegasus got stabled in a in an, in an old disused riding academy that Kyle Richmond owns. So everybody sort of flies or super jumps back there, and they sort of open up the barn to get settled in. And who should they find but Scorpio, evil Zodiac themed supervillain? Dude, I thought you literally just said that this is where the horse lives. How long has the horse been gone? Well, so like maybe two episodes ago, Aragorn got attacked by the evil brain transplanted body of uh, Chandu the Mystic. His brain was transplanted to a crazy monster oh, guy. Right, that's when everything just ape house. Yeah, and so <laughs> um, Aragorn was hurt and um, has spent most of its time convalescing. But generally, Aragorn li- has lived in this writing academy upstate for a long time. I think, like... You, just, you see where really, I'm going with this? This guy's built, like, a since, giant computer <laughs> inside this stable house. Yeah. That's no, not we've his seen property. This, no, 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 no. This is the giant computer that's part of the uh, Defender's Clubhouse. Oh. We've seen it before a couple times. I like, see. they consulted it when um, the Guardians of the Galaxy were there and sort of used part of it to, like, fix their ship and stuff. I, I just sort thought of, that they, like, had not been paying attention. <laughs> this guy built his, like, evil lair here. It could no. He's Zodiac's here looking for Kyle Richmond. Probably decided like, hey, the, the farmhouse full of computer rich com- equipment's probably a, a good place to find him. This guy got it done. Kyle Richman, Richmond's yeah. right there. Hey, although he doesn't know because of uh, super heroics. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever. They have a big fight inside the uh, Computron barn of the Defenders alternate hideout, and the Defenders basically beat him up. And he and Scorpio uses the power of his Zodiac key to teleport away at the end of the fight. That's a cool key, then. Yeah, it's powerful. Uh, and, you know, that's basically, it's sort of things are resolved in a cliffhanger, and they're going to sort of go on. And that's where we're going to leave the Defenders for, for a little while. Uh, just FYI, it turns out that both the Nick Fury that captured Jack Norris and Scorpio are uh, life model decoy robot versions of Nick Fury. And they're trying to get money by 
holding Jack Norris for ransom for Kyle Richmond to give them much money so they can make an army of Zodiac-themed robots to go along with Scorpio. Just so you know. Okay, is this going to come up anytime soon? No, it's not going to come up at all. We're going to skip back. <laughs> uh, Strange will be on the, on and off with the Defenders team, but he'll only sw- will sort of pop in and out with them periodically from time goes by. But he's not going to be here for the rest of this story. So I'm just going to I've just spoiled it for you. They beat the robots in the end. Oh, thank you. Yeah, now it's time for Solo Strange. You're not. Missing. Oh, but first. Uh, just outside of Kyle Richmond's ranch house, a kid delivers newspapers, despite the fact that they are piled high on the house's front lawn. The kid remarks that he prefers to be tipped in money, like Kyle, like Richmond does, instead of chocolate-covered cherries. And he warns his pet dog about not walking in the street, because it's dangerous. Not afraid to be walking in the street? An elf with a gun. But he should be worried, because BLAM! He's hit by a Mac Ray moving van. Anyhow, Incredible Hulk number We've six. We've done or it. Incredible Hulk We've Annual done it. Six. He's defeated. We have outlived this nonsense. What? Yeah. We're victor- victorious here. Thanks to the power of a paper boy, his diligent work, regardless of, you know, any sort of social cues, we've killed the elf with a gun. So Incredible Hulk 6 from November 1977. He's stupid character. Beware the beehive. David Kraft writer, Herb Trimby, Frank Giacoya... And Mike Esposito, artist, Len Wein, editor and co-plotter, Gaspar Saladino, letterer, Janice Cohen, colorist. So this story takes place way after the rest of the comics this episode. Like the Defenders comic was from uh, April 77, and this is from November. But based on sort of what's going on when the comic starts and stuff, it really probably comes, like, chronologically, it seems like it would take place in the mid-40s of the Defenders, because it opens with the Hulk and Doctor Strange just kind of chilling in the Sanctum Sanctorum, you know? Is this just like a one-shot? Yeah, it's a one-shot. It, you know, these it's an annual, so it's sort of a thing that comes out, and you sort of buy the annual, and it's got a character you like, and it tells a fun story, and kind of ends with like... And, and, and it tells a fun story that's usually not continuity-based, or it's either not continuity-based or super continuity-based, like the Defenders Annual that wrapped up a year, the year, that year-long plot line or something like that. Oh, yeah. But it's, I've, yeah. But it's basically a way, often a way to get people into, comic, into a certain comic book. Like, that's what this one is. It's sort of, it ends by saying, check out the Incredible Hulk in The Defenders and Incredible Hulk comics, you know? Okay. But so, in this case, uh, Hulk and Doctor Strange chilling in the Sanctum Living Room. And the house is attacked by a big, crazy death robot on the look for Stephen Strange. Just a big trash can with arms and lasers. Yeah, it's, it's pretty janky for, as far as robots go. Yeah. So it blasts the Hulk and then sort of tells Doctor Strange, like, I need to teleport you to the base or else they'll start wrecking up the joint. There's this really adorable shot of, like, a pixelated Hulk, by the way. Oh, yeah. It looks neat. <laughs> it's very, it's very, like... This would be very advanced for his 1977. Yeah, you know? this is like some oh, technology. <laughs> it looks like he's real. Whoa. <laughs> he's graphics, dude. But so Doctor Strange agrees to come to be teleported, and he sort of does. And Doctor Strange teleports to the Beehive, a supervillain think tank disguised as a superhero think tank. Uh, Doctor Strange isn't sold on these guys, so he mentally summons the Hulk to come rescue him, even though the Beehive hasn't done anything wrong yet. It's like uh, that Mitch Hedberg joke about making a, a baked potato. <laughs> yeah. So, like, Strange is summoning the Hulk because by the time the Hulk gets there, Doctor Strange might need rescuing. 
The author's really saving us time on this story. <laughs> well, it's good because now the plot splits into into two different stories, right? Right. First, there's the Beehive guys, better known if you're deep into comic stuff as the in as the Enclave. Uh, back in the they're probably most famous for back in the '60s when they did an experiment to make the Ultimate Man, known as Him or uh, Adam Warlock. They really flubbed on the Ultimate name, though, huh? Him's a pretty good name for him. You know, it's just how you refer to that guy. <laughs> him. But he later changed his name to Adam Warlock, the uh, orange skin gold dude. Uh, That's the best like he was so, name. Yeah, he was so powerful, only the Silver Age Fantastic Four could defeat him, which is insanely powerful. But we'll get more in-depth about Adam Warlock sort of early next year when we finally get to the Infinity Gauntlet and that stuff. But basically, right now, the Beehive's at it again. They're using a science cocoon to make another ultimate human. And they need Doctor Strange's doctoring ability to help deliver the new person, basically. Okay. It's like whatever. Don't worry about it too much. <laughs> the better story is the Hulk traveling to meet up with Strange. Because <laughs> as Hulk travels seemingly across the Earth, he meets, he meets pretty much every type of military organization. <laughs> Just like a whirlwind tour. Yeah, like first he like swims underwater super fast and shows up as an enemy ship like to the submarine and they fire a torpedo at him and Hulk like grabs onto the torpedo and like rides it for like a, like a, a couple miles. Yeah, that's pretty boss. Then he sort of comes up on the shore to some sort of NATO tank based war game. And Hulk just, just completely destroys it. He takes out all these tanks. He does the thing I love where he grabs, like, the tank by the barrel of its main cannon and, like, smashes it into the ground and stuff. <laughs> and then he's like, uh, Hulk, leave, just leave Hulk alone. Hulk jumps away. Then he goes to, like, the USSR where they're doing, they're, like, launching a rocket to space. And the Hulk just assumes it's a, it's a missile that's being shot at him and destroys that, too. There's, like, a dude and, like, on yep, it. Yeah, it's because it's like they're sending a cosmonaut into orbit, but Hulk just, like, assumes that it's there to attack him. So he, he punches he punches out the, the rocket and then, like, yells the cosmonaut inside. <laughs> wow. That guy's having a rough day. Yeah, especially in the last one where he's just sort of around some tropical island, and it turns out that, that it's an, an atomic test site. <laughs> and he gets caught in a huge nuclear explosion, <laughs> eventually waking up on some island in the South Pacific where local folk have decided to worship him as a god. This is incredible. This is, There's a lot going on. At least for the Hulk. It seems like yeah. Stephen Strange is just like fighting some dude. He's just kind of like, yeah. I mean, at this point, around this time, like the cocoon bursts, but I want to finish up with the Hulk. Yeah, it's <laughs> priorities. It turns out that the idol that the natives worship is this big green guy that looks just like the Hulk. And the Hulk is not cool with that because he respects people enough to not take advantage of them by just deciding to be their god. He, like, so he smashes their idol yeah, and, and continues the, on his way. He beats the crud out of all, like, all of the island. You know, this is you know, you, when, when, when all you have is a hammer, the earth looks like a nail. <laughs> and when all you have is freaking Hulk hands, you know. That's fair enough. I've had Hulk hands. The earth is just there to be smashed, basically. <laughs> so, meanwhile to all this, back at the hive, the cocoon is hatched, and there's a dude inside who calls himself Paragon. And he looks kind of like Prince Valiant in a mini skirt and is super powerful. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The, uh, the beehive guys decide to test his loyalty by having Paragon kill Doctor Strange. <laughs> and things look bad for the Doc until the Hulk finally shows up. There's a lot of, like, lab-based fighting now, 
like throwing computer machines and stuff until Paragon go, goes Nova and becomes like a being of pure energy. And he decides to destroy the beehive and the island that it's situated on. Nova Paragon is a pretty dope, by the way. Yeah, man. He's rad. He's, yeah, he's like black with like a core of like yellow energy yep, inside. Blinding light. It's awesome. Yeah. There's a pretty nice part where uh, Hulk lets us know that he could have stopped Paragon if he wanted to, but he doesn't <laughs> want to. I never believe anyone who tells me that. No way, man. Hulk agrees with Glowing Man. Punny Island is destroyed. Or Punny, Punny Island is bad. Island should be destroyed. <laughs> it's good. Meanwhile, uh, Paragon returns to his, to his science cocoon as the boys teleport away. The cocoon sinks to the bottom of the ocean. Blah blah blah. Uh, it'll get, and the you know they sort of reflect on this fact. Hulk sort of like Hulk says that he's glad that the glowing guy just went back into his cocoon because otherwise he'd be hounded and people wouldn't like him. Like people don't like Hulk. And kind of just FYI, oh go ahead. No, I'm just saying like that's Hulk is kind of like relating with another individual about how it is to be such a powerful sort of freak of nature. Yeah, it's interesting. Poignant. Yeah, man. Hulk, Hulk's aware of his plight. You know, Hulk have self-awareness. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just sort of FYI, this um, p- paragon in this cocoon thing will be found and hatched again in like 1980. And he will have changed into a sexy lady version of Adam Warlock going by her for a while. <laughs> good, good name again. <laughs> Until eventually settling on the name Kismet. That's a little bit better. A little. <laughs> That's only because I don't know the origin of the name Kismet. I think it's like fate or something. Okay. Don't quote me. All right. Well, everyone, write in. Write a five-star review and tell us if we're right or wrong. Please. Um, but now we go to Tomb of Dracula 44 from June 1970. Or sorry, from May 1976. Where Stephen Strange battles a dude who looks like Stephen Strange with teeth. I mean, okay. You're right. They, they're like... <laughs> Down to the popped collar that goes out to orbit. Yeah, just sort of in general, Dracula and Doctor Strange are very are very similar. They're both dudes with mustaches and red and blue capes, and uh, like that. Yeah, good dental hygiene. Yeah, doc, the difference is that Doctor Strange has like the white streaks in his hair, and Dracula has fangs. Yep. But especially based on the author, like Gene Colan, especially who draws this one, draws a very Dracula e. Uh, Doctor Strange, it's a problem. <laughs> but so, this one, Tomb of Dracula, his name is Doctor Strange. Marv Wolfman, writer-editor, Gene Colan and Tom Palmer artists, John Costanza letterer, Tom Palmer colorist. Okay, so we're back almost a year from before we left the Defenders, just FYI. Doctor Strange is still Sorcerer Supreme and everything is groovy. Except for Wong, who's missing! Oh no! He, he probably Strange- didn't notice for a while, though. Oh, I feel like he's... Come on. <laughs> Doctor Strange uses the orb of Agamotto to summon Wong's body to him. And he finds out that Wong is dead. Oh, Jesus. No. Yeah. And that Wong has uh, a vampire bite on his neck. Doctor Strange knows the mystic arts and instantly recognizes it a vampire bite. It's not like another any other kind of TV show where you got to be like, oh, it's an animal attack or something like that. Thank goodness you know? for that, though. Like, his, he's a master of mystic arts. He knows what vampires are, he's ready to go. So he uh, swears revenge against wh- whichever vampire has done this, and he promises to undo Wong's death if he can. Strange then enters Wong's uh, dead mind to see how he died. 
And it seems that while running some errands, Wong interrupted Dracula. That's right, Dracula. The, the one feeding on a lady. Um, only for him to feed on Wong as well. And it's time for vengeance. Dracula-based vengeance. <laughs> uh, after this, there's some sort of Tomb of Dracula stuff in the comic, which we don't really have to get into. And I'm only really talking about it because uh, Blade shows up. And it's, you know, 70s Blade with these big green goggles and stuff. Blade owes so much of his coolness to Wesley Snipes, it's not even funny. <laughs> yeah, he clearly doesn't know anything about, like, what colors match. Yeah, it's true. He's all over the place. So, Doctor Strange is on the hunt for Dracula. Using the Eye of Agamotto, his amulet, he tracks Dracula to his lair pretty easily, actually. And the fight is on! Uh, Strange's energy blasts manage to destroy Dracula's coffin, but don't do much about the monster himself. Strange reveals that he's not trying to kill Dracula... But instead, he's trying to force Dracula to bring Wong back to life. This includes, like, magically retelling the backstory of Dracula when he's, like, a Cossack on a horse or something. Dracula's like, please stop. This exposition is boring me. <laughs> hey, I'll bring your do- friend back. Doctor Strange is on a sweet um, horse and, like, charges him with a lance and stuff, which is pretty good. Yeah. But... Dracula ends up being offended that Doctor Strange is Bob is a uh, wants to resurrect a manservant. Basically, he's like, "You want me to bring back some hireling? Never." <laughs> um, and because Doctor Strange won't use his most powerful magic because he is trying to get Wong back, uh, the vampire is able to use his mind control powers on Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is mind controlled, bitten. And in three days, he will become a vampire. Oh, no. Man, Dracula has way more powers than I knew about. He's got a lot going on. Also, at the end, uh, Blade meets Hannibal King, who's played by Ryan Reynolds in the movie for the first time, which I think is kind of fun as well. (laughs) Well, there you go. But yeah, and he can like turn into mist and like hypnotize people. And he turn into a bat, of course, and all that stuff. I'm more just kind of commenting on his ability to like bring things and people back from the dead. Mm, He can undo his vampire whatevers, I think. Okay. But that's what Doctor Strange says. He doesn't really do it at all, so I don't know if, he actually, if that's actually in his skill set or Strange just assumes that it is. But so we go to Doctor Strange 14 from May 1976. Tomb of Doctor Strange. Steve Englehart, author. Gene Colan, artist. Tom Palmer, inks and color. John Costanza, letterer. Marv Wolfman, editor. So we start, we open with Dracula laughing over Doctor Strange's dead body, which he tosses into a cellar and then pieces out. See you in a couple days, my future vampire minion. Uh, luckily, however, Doctor Strange has managed to do what he always does when he's about to die, and he's astral projected out of his body just as Dracula hypnotized him. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, so he wasn't home for the actual uh, vampire bite. So he's okay, right? That's so confusing. Is he? Wrong. No, he's not. Uh, the bite has locked Doctor Strange out of his body. Oh, yeah. And this would normally spell his doom, as previously we've established that being an astral form for over 24 hours kills you. But I guess as Sorcerer Supreme, Doctor Strange is using a different set of rules. Now he's in his spirit form, and it's time to fight back. Which basically means Doctor Strange haunting Dracula. (laughs) He's just annoying uh, him. Yeah, like Dracula's sort of finding another place to stay because his coffin was destroyed. And and Doctor Strange takes the form of one of Dracula's recent enemies, uh, Doctor Sun, or like Doctor Sun's brain, I guess. (laughs) He stacks a bunch of chairs on tables. Yeah, and then eventually uh, he takes the form of Dracula's pre-vampire love, Maria. And then he starts, and then um, 
like turns into a mist and escapes across the ocean, tricking Dracula into following him so that when the sun rises, there's no place for him to hide. Wow, that's brutal. Yeah, although it doesn't quite work because Dracula manages to escape the sunrise and arrive back in the cellar. The start of the third day when, Dra- when Doctor Strange comes back alive in vampire form. And it's time for a vampire fight. A snap. Our hero's a vampire now. Basically. Um, That's a cool look, but now the fang thing is like, who is who? Really hard to tell. You're basically looking for like the, the gold um, high, yeah, like, like the gloves and like the gold highlight of Doctor Strange's cloak. That's their big differences. <laughs> um, so this time during the fight, Doctor Strange calls upon an unusual god to give him power, actually. He calls upon the Tetragrammaton, a.k.a. Yahweh or Jehovah. So with the Judeo-Christian god at his side, presumably a different god, than the ultimate god Sisseneg turned into previously. <laughs> uh, Doctor Strange is able to destroy Dracula completely and then both use and then both jam the magic into the face of Wong and himself to make them both no longer vampires and still alive. Good times. That's how it's done, I guess. It's like a yeah. cream. Essentially. Or like, yeah. Dracula's rule Apply- everything around me. <laughs> what rules everything? Just cash or <laughs> cash or Dracula's. Yeah. Ah, dream? All right. And don't worry, though, So because even, even though Doc, uh, Dracula appears to be dead here, he's fine. He'll be back in his next issue. We're still really? 45... Got, like, full-on disintegrated. Yeah, by the power of Jesus, but it's not enough. Okay. Don't worry, though, dude, because in 45 issues or so, Doctor Strange will settle Dracula's hash for sure with the Montessi formula, which will destroy all vampires in the Marvel Universe for good, or at least like 10 years. Which is just as good. It's pretty good. And so we jump directly to Doctor Strange 15. Yeah. From 1976. Duncan, take it away. Yeah, it's titled The Devil's Workshop. Slam bang supernatural action as you like it, they say. It is how I like it. Exactly. They know. Steve Englehart Mm -hmm. is the saga. Uh, Gene Colan is the pencil art. Tom Palmer is ink and color art. John Costanza is calligraphy, and Marv Wolfman, the editor. I don't like how they say saga there if they aren't going to also do fake titles for the rest of the jobs, you know? Yeah, and they just, they stop immediately after this episode. So, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So the comic starts off with Strange wandering the streets of New York with Wong. It's, it's, it's Strange and Wong basically on their way home from the tomb of Dracula. Yep. And they come across an apartment building fully engulfed in flames. The comic, like, takes a second and mentions that this is a mundane task, which is pretty messed up. And Strange seems to, like, feel the same way because he shouts out, like, there's a woman trapped on the fire escape. And then the comic again is like, well, at least it looks mundane. Like, seriously, guys? There's, like, a woman whose life is in danger, and that's not good enough for you? Well, like, my thinking is that this, like, kind of scene, the uh, house on fire and people trapped inside, and the superhero goes through and saves everybody, is straight-up, ultra-stereotypical superhero stuff. I get that. Like, it's, it's this and it's bank robbers as things that superheroes do to sort of be superhero-y. No, I get that, like, as, and like, so, a plot and so the, point. Yeah, and so the thing about Doctor Strange is that he doesn't really do that stuff very much. He doesn't stop bank robbers or do a lot of saving people from burning buildings and stuff. It is pretty mundane in comparison to, like, pursuing Dormammu across five different alien dimensions and fighting a bunch of god beings on planets full of, like, meteors and stuff. You know what I mean? True. But I also think that it sounds very unheroic for them to pose it this way. 
I mean, I think it'd be unheroic if he was like, that's a little pedestrian for my taste, and walks away. <laughs> yeah, that would be definitely unheroic. But he, like, helps her save. He just, yeah. He's trying to keep a low profile, that's all. Yeah, and such a low profile that as she jumps from the ledge of her fire escape, he just materializes a, like, an awning. An awning. Yeah. yeah, and so she just bounces off of it like she's been watching too many Jackie Chan movies. <laughs> so with the woman saved completely lackadaisically, Wong and Strange eventually part ways, seemingly unaware that they're being watched by a man from the alley. But apparently yeah. they do see him. They just don't make a big deal out of it because, well, he'll he'll show up in a sec. Yeah. So the discussion that Wong and Doctor Strange had is really great. They both expressed concerns for the other's well-beings, and it emphasized even further when Wong defends his occupation from like kind of uncomfortable stereotypes. Yeah, like two. He's Wong sort of goes to the market to get dinner for them, and then two Asian guys sort of show up and yell at him for working for a white guy, basically. Yeah, and. For, Wong just pretty much mentions that he at, under he's training under Stephen Strange because he was raised to like res, have a respect for wisdom and if you don't like that you can just deal and to me it sounds like that their comic book creators are kind of getting sick of everyone calling them out for their Asian servant character that they created <laughs> which makes me feel a little bit vindicated but also like they're just trying to pretend that everything else that happened was fine since now they're retconning their relationship has like a solid foundation. Mm-hmm. So, Interesting. Yeah. So that's my two cents. <laughs> Anywho. So Strange <laughs> returns home where he's greeted by Clea, which is really rough for him since she and everyone else was exploded and then remade. And yeah, this is this is kind of an interesting issue because it's basically every it's basically Doctor Strange sort of dealing with the fallout of the Earth being destroyed and then remade by Eternity. Which is like I always have a problem when someone just undoes everything because it just writes off everything that the story has done before. So the fact that they left Stephen Strange with the memory just kind of makes me feel like that there there was some cost for everything that had occurred previously. Yeah, it makes it like it's hard to explain like. Doctor Strange really actually has the difficulty in this issue of, of, not to get too far ahead, but of him explaining to the people in his life that, like, you guys all died. You ain't real. And, and now you're, you're back, and it's basically the same, but yeah. it's, you know, you're still not, it's still not really, it's still remade, which is an interesting, like, philosophical question, you know? Exactly. But this conversation is interrupted, and so is the conversation between Strange and Clea, when they get a knock at the door, and it turns out to be the guy from the alley near the fire, and he just, like, straight up slits his own throat. Yeah, James Mandarin. He's like, hey, how you doing? Gah! It's, jugular vein. It's crazy. So St- Strange is just straight stunned, as everyone should be in this situation, but yeah. at least since he's a magical doctor, the guy is going to be like, completely fine. Also, we <laughs> learn at one point, Strange just cries out when he sees this guy, like, you know, cut his throat. He's just like, Rings of Ragador! <laughs> By the roving rings of Ragador! Yeah, and then underneath it, it says, this is automatically translated to good heavens for everyone within ear- earshot. So, <laughs> every time he's been near some, like, normals, and he says the rings of Ragador, they just hear him shouting good heaven, which I think is amazing. I do appreciate Doctor Strange's willingness to um, do superhero exclamations and stuff. Yeah, he's, he's I was... wholly committed. Like, the thing that I always think is really funny about all comic books is these people who learn about things when they're adults, but it still becomes their default swear word and stuff. Like, Superman doesn't know anything about Kryptonite, uh, I'm sorry, about Krypton until he's, like, an adult, basically. Right. 
but when he cusses in the comics, he has very crypt, Krypton based based <laughs> like like swears. It's like you know, by the stars of Roe or something like that. <laughs> it's like you don't know that. Like you that wouldn't be your go to exclamation, you know? Yeah, you say like but, dang. Yeah, or other swear words. Yeah, and so I I appreciate Doctor Strange also doing that. You know, I mean, he didn't become a doctor until he was like in his thirties, yeah. or a, a magician until in his thirties. But he always gets angry and like says, "Curse me for a novice." Yeah, he says that a lot for someone who's not supposed to be a novice, by the way. Because <laughs> he hates novices. <laughs> so anyway, Strange goes back to pouting, and in the depths of his depression, he decides that the only thing he can do to is to contact the Ancient One from beyond the grave. But he like messes up something fierce, and he just creates a contact with the endless hordes from the underworld. And are they trying to say that the ancient one is in hell, or did he just like totally? No, he just got a bad number. Okay, because he yeah he dialed the two on accident or something. Yeah, but Strange just yeah. gives up immediately, and then he heads up uh, to the roof. Full, it's full on a uh, novice stuff. He says these are demons of the nether plains, such as unwary novices blunder across. Yeah. No, he's he's really lost focus. I'm just going to cut him some slack based on the whole, like, everyone's dead thing. Yeah. He heads up to the roof where he is, like, convinced by his two house guests to tell Clea the truth. And on his way to do that, he stops in and tells the crazy dude who, you know, we've established is the Mandarin. And he, he lets him know he's that... He's a Mandarin. He's like the Mandarin's no-good nephew or something like that. Yeah. James Mandarin. Jimmy Mandarin. <laughs> And he lets him know that he won't be allowed to train under Doctor Strange, which is, like, a solid idea. Like, this guy is just so insane, so... Yeah, that's not a good... It's not a good opening. It's not how you apply <laughs> for magic abilities. Yeah, seriously. But to get someone to prove that they're... Mag- like, like Mandarin's plan is, like, okay, I, I knock on Doctor Strange's door. He's, he opens it up. I cut my throat. He saves me. This proves to him that I know he's a magician and he's no choice but to take me on as his disciple. Yeah, that, that seems... That's to, a terrible plan. That, that all seems to work out. No, it's, it's miserable. Also... But then as, as Mandarin rages that he won't get this ability, he hears a voice saying, I'll be your messiah. Yep. So while Strange is telling Clea that they all died and then they came back and Clea starts to like freak out, it's made even worse because Mandarin's been taken over by the powers of Satan. I know we were all really shocked that this uh, recently introduced character turned out to be a villain. <laughs> Zootalore! I mean, I wouldn't have guessed that he would be a, become a Satan-based villain. I gotta say that. Yeah. But he is, as, the, as all three of them are teleported to hell! Yep. And that takes us to Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts in... Alright. Now, they've got a cover title, but... If they wanted me to acknowledge that, they shouldn't have named the inside cover Beelzebub on Parade. It's way better. <laughs> this one has Steve Englehart no longer as the saga. He's the author again. Gene yeah. Colon is the artist. Tom Palmer is inker colorist. John Costanza is calligrapher. And Marv Wolfman, the editor. So Doctor Strange has turned into such a sad sack. It's created a rift allowing Satan to drag him and Clay into hell. So someone better go tell, warn Tom York fast. So, hell is your typical self-warfare. There's demons everywhere you look. There's this uh, moment where Strange turns into a Dracula for a second, but nothing really comes of that. He almost like yeah. the neck of a demon, but whatever. Also, Mordo shows up and tries to guilt trip Doctor Strange, since Mordo's like feeling abandoned, which is yeah, weird. Like, because Strange also feels guilty about it, but they're not friends. Like, Mm-mm. but Strange wastes no time turning all of the ground into water and just drowning Mordo. 
Yeah. There's a lot of, throughout this all, weird stuff happens, and Doctor Strange kind of reacts to it normally. And then Satan, who's sort of holding Clay a hostage, like, laughs at him and says, like, it's hell, nothing's real, bro. Yeah, which is, which is kind of funny. I just got to say, like, to Mordo, you got to be careful what kind of attention you're asking for. Yeah, I think he might feel bad just because, like, Mordo is in a catatonic state and then escaped when he was all crazy. And then the Earth is been destroyed and we don't really know where Mordo is. Like, he might actually just be dead in hell. Like, I'm not sure about it. Right. Then... Jimmy Randrin shows up and tries to kill Trip Strange, but Strange isn't having that. So Sands turns into a giant snake with way too many teeth. Yeah, he goes he goes full Garden of Eden on him. Yeah, and like if I saw that snake, I would know it's evil as heck. Just saying, snake aren't yeah, supposed man. to have that many teeth. No. Also, there's a brief part where they establish that Dormammu is the devil in Clea's dimension, or like Satan is our dimension's Dormammu. Which I think uh, is pretty fantastic. That's lame, man. Dormammu was actually the king of Clea's dimension. <laughs> he like had a throne and stuff. You could go up and talk to him. Same diff. I don't know. Clay and Clay and Satan seem to agree on it. I want to talk to Satan if you need. <laughs> like, what's up, man? Yeah, how's it going? <laughs> so Stephen beats the snake with a laser beam. I guess it's not very clear. So state, mm-hmm. Satan just like pushes Clea off this massive pillar. And Strange tries to save her just before she hits the ground, which we've seen him pull off like ten times now. <laughs> and guess what? He does. Just in the nick of time, he rescues Yay! Clea. But it turns out it's the devil in disguise. Aww. This is now the second time he's fallen for that in this issue. Yeah, no, he keeps falling for the devil's tricks, man. It's tough. Yep. And Strange is getting like really bummed about it. He's just about to like give up when all of a sudden he sees like this vision of his friend's Lord Fife and Rama Lama Ding Dong trying to save Strange through exorcism, uh, and his resolve is doubled, but not because their exorcism is, like, effective. Just because he likes the fact that people are trying, like, caring for him. Yeah, it's tough with these guys, man. Like, they sort of showed up a long time ago to help Doctor Strange when Dormammu was in, like, the center of the Earth and stuff. And they've been sort of constantly trying to help Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange has always like blown them off completely. Yeah, I think <laughs> like, he's like a bad. No, host, I don't need your help at all. And he's not being a good friend. These people are just like crashing at his pad, like eating all of his like crackers when he's gone. Yeah, but like it would have been so easy for the writers to be like, "Oh no, like the uh, exorcism did help me," but instead, no, yeah, they couldn't even give him that. Steve Englehart's like, "I don't like these guys. Like, I'm just gonna make them super ineffectual, but just sort of like." being a bad house guest <laughs> to Doctor Strange. But so Strange finally knows what he must do, which is nothing. He just sits down and gives Satan the cold shoulder, like the world's coldest shoulder, like so cold that Beelzebub even tries to attack Strange. And when he grabs his shoulder, it causes the devil to pop like a bubble. <laughs> like, also, can I just say, this is the lamest version of the devil I've ever seen. He looks like a total goober. Mm-hmm. This is not a great devil. No. In comparison to other Marvel devils that that we, we've seen and will see. Yep. I mean, there's going to be a Defenders thing where all four of the different Marvel devils team up to fight the Earth, and it's going to be so good. <laughs> Even this goober? Not this one. Oh, well, good. there'll be a Satan, but it'll be, it'll be a much better Satan. Okay. It's like Satanish, Satan. Dormammu. No, not Dormammu. <laughs> Dormammu's different. But like uh, Mephisto or something. And then one other one I always forget. But there's going to be a bunch of Satans. It's going to be good. Anyhow. Yep. So Strange and Clea escape from hell. And Strange leaves us with a message about how the devil only exists if you believe in the devil. Which is kind of cool, I guess. But eh, let's break there. Yeah. After the break, the occult history of America. Hey, Duncan, what do you think uh, about these issues so far? 
I think that they are very religious. They're weirdly religious, especially this last one with Satan. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then calling on God to beat, to beat Dracula. It's weird. I just want to say thank you to the Hulk. He is our shining light so far. Hulk keep things light in this sort of rough late 70s, or, yeah, late 70s period of Doctor Strange, I gotta say. Yeah. I also, <laughs> I mean, I understand, like, I'll never real, really get what it is to know all of my loved ones dying and then coming back, but I feel like that that would be pretty happy if they all just, like, were safe from death, you know? I think it's it comes back to the problem of uh, transporters in Star Trek. Uh, yeah, okay. Like, when you transport in Star Trek, your body is vaporized and then re-vaporized. Re Deporized. In, um, yeah, wherever you land, you know? But, like, the fact is that the first time you beam, you died, and then a new you is there, you know? Yep, but that happens every time. Yeah, and so you don't think about it, and it doesn't freak you out. But if you do think about it, it's basically just what happened to Doctor Strange here. And if it only happens once, then, it'll, then you know, it's bad times to freak out. Yeah. He, yeah, he needs to just sort of reset the world a bunch so he can get over it. I mean, it's the fourth time it's happened in the course of this podcast, as I'm always quick to point out. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, I mean, so, himself has even, like, when... Okay, now we're getting into the thicket of it. But when Dormammu came back and he turned everyone into monsters and covered everything with, like, Nickelodeon slime, then... Mm -hmm. Strange was just like, oh, I don't mind like erasing all of these minds and fixing everything as it suits me. So I guess yeah. maybe he's just got some like power power control issues. It definitely could be. Anyhow, let's take a quick break, Duncan. <laughs> we'll get back to this hot Doctor Strange action in a little bit. See you soon, everybody. Stop for a moment The stranger beckoned And then he said Walk down the road of life Happy as can be But not so happy yeah, That you can't see Be very careful Everywhere you go Take it very slow And we're back. My name's Conrad. That's Duncan, and we are Stranger by the Dozen. Hoorah! Yeah, find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, pod and other podcast apps. Email us at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com and find us on all your social medias, generally, at Stranger by the Dozen. Not on MySpace just yet. It's hard to get accounts now these days. Yeah, okay. No uh, no friendster either, unfortunately. Yeah, not, we're not on Dead Journal either. Or whitehouse.gov. Oh, man. One, That'd be cool. That would be dope. But anyhow, we return to Doctor Strange action with Doctor Strange 17 from August 1976. Oh, wait. But before we start, actually, I want to mention something that one or two people actually have talked to me about offline about the show, which is in the last two Defenders episode or issues from last episode, there were some sweet Rush references in the whole um, issue, and the whole thing was dedicated to Rush. Oh, wow. So I'd like to uh, to call that out, basically. The Star of Kapistan, that's a Rush thing. Uh, various things that the Red Rajas said about um, becoming one with everybody and forming a new society and stuff. Rush quotes. So there you go. Rush is in effect in Stranger by the Dozen. 
That's awesome. Pretty cool. Basically, it was the two guys writing the Defenders at that point, just listening to a lot of Rush over a weekend when they were trying to figure out what the dialogue for this comic should be. Hey, Rush is inspirational and should be in more comics. Okay, I, I don't know. But let's get back to Doctor Strange number 17 from August 1976. Duncan, you're up. Yep. In Utopia Uprising with Steve Englehart as the author, Gene Colan as the pencil artist, Tom Palmer as the ink and art, uh, as the ink art and color. He is the literal ink art and color. John <laughs> Costanza is calligraphy and Marv Wolfman is the editor. Following the Escape from Hell, it appears that Jimmy Mandarin stole a bunch of books from Strange, so he and Clea... I, hmm? I love the opening picture of this episode, because it's like James Mandarin running through this like alley in New York City, and you just see the silhouette of Doctor Strange above him, like the light from the amulet shining down on Mandarin, and he's like coming down like a, like a bird of prey to take him out. Yeah, it looks like something straight so out of cool. like Blade Runner, or like Metropolis. Yeah. So... Strange and Clea hunt him down to get them back, which they do, and then they wipe his brain, which... Yeah, brainwashing! I'm normally, I'm really against it, but this dude's been asking for, like, a telepathic sock right to the noggin. Yeah. This is actually the first brainwash in, like, two episodes, I want to say. So Strange has really fair... been, like, trying to hold back. He's been really falling down on the brainwash. I think the last person he brainwashed was uh, young Vance Astrovic in uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy saga for the, for the Defenders. Right. They really didn't have any other choice with that one, though. You gotta avoid a paradox, buddy. So, with the books recovered, Clea's interest is piqued by one called New Atlantis, and Strange is about to explain what that is to her. Oh, and the general idea of the bicentennial. Yep. Because it's uh, it's August 1976, so just the previous month was the U.S. bicentennial. We're only ten years away from the Sester Centennial. Duncan, get get freaked out. Yep, everyone, mark your calendars. <laughs> so they're interrupted by Ram Khalif and Lord Fife making their leave suspiciously, might I add. Well, okay, it's not really. It's just that Lord Fife is just really sweaty and he's got that like Super shifty sweaty. eye look. So <laughs> if I've learned one thing from this, you don't trust people or dogs that look like that. <laughs> so strange. Feels like something's up, but he just doesn't care. And he teleports himself and Clea back to the year 1618 to meet the author Woo! of New Atlantis, Sir Kevin Bacon. <laughs> it's Francis Bacon, yeah, dude. That's a, that's a joke that only Conrad would know because he's read these comics. So, I don't, that, that hit me just right, bro. Yep. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so Francis Bacon is in a bar, and man, there's so many costume changes. That's the one thing that I can give to these time travel episodes is I don't care if it's dumb or or amazing. I love when there's superhero costume changes. Yeah, and it's cool because since Doctor Strange can use magic, he can basically make like 17th century versions of his and Clea's costumes. It's awesome. So they meet up with him in the bar and he's like, all right, you seem like, you know, a pair of good people, but I don't want to talk here, so meet me up in my mansion, which is perfect. It gives Strange and Clea enough time to aimlessly wander the streets, trying to pick up some, like, pick a fight with some ruffians, with which yeah, they, they are successful. Yeah, they're accosted by goons. Yeah, and Strange and Doc, was just waiting to show off his sweet rapier skills, and he can totally yeah, do that now. He swashbuckles the heck out of them. Yeah, he doesn't even, like, use his magic much, and so he takes out the ne'er-do-wells quite easily, as Conrad has mentioned, but he realizes that they are just minor magicians, which means don't give these magicians any witch's brew. That's illegal because they're minors. So 
Oh my gosh! Yep. What have I done? Why did I make? Why have I made these choices? You have no one to blame but yourself. You gave me the ability to talk to people on the internet. It's true. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> so the hoodlums run off, and Strange and Clay head over to Bacon's mansion, where they are greeted by like a collection of individuals from all across the globe who wish to create a utopia free from governments and dictators, with which uh, they will inscribe or which. With which is what with is which? inscribed oh. within the pages of the New Atlantis. Yeah, there's so many neck ruffs in this room; it's insane. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It looks like they all just went to the vet. They got to stop like scratching that stuff. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so Bacon even gives Strange a complete copy of his work, The New Atlantis, which is extra impressive because that book is an unfinished work. Only the first half was ever published. And Strange just like immediately dips out to go read this book. He's so excited. He's like, this is because it's the full version. He's like, this doesn't exist. What's going on? Yep. So he runs home and he starts to read it when he is immediately interrupted by the Rascalians who were just attacked him from before. But this time they're accompanied by this generation, Sorcerer Supreme, Stigaro. Stigaro. Yep. Stigaro's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, he's just a straight wizard looking wizard. Yeah, he's. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, if you've ever seen The Sorcerer's Apprentice, he looks like Yen Sid, that, like, Disney wizard. Yeah, big beard, robe, hat with stars on it. Yeah, to a T. Like, yeah, conical hat or whatever. So they all start up yeah. fighting, and this just they just end up taking turns throwing furniture at one another. When finally Stigaro finds an opening, and he rips the manuscript in half to escape. And this is something uh, I no. have a problem with. They make it seem like he's the reason that, like, the second half was never published. But like the, the mm-hmm. way that they rip it, he either got like the top pages, the top half of the pages, or the bottom half yeah. of the pages. Because it's like a scroll, yeah. basically. So it doesn't make sense, but whatever, it doesn't matter. It was all set up by Frank Bacon to make people more interested in his work by making it into a mystery. So we've all been punked. Marvel has uncovered this, basically. Yeah, and like at the end, like yeah, at the end, Doctor Strange says that New Atlantis marks the real beginning of America, like the publication of this of this book, which is not how I learned it in any situation. I gotta say, I'm, you know what? I'm gonna go with you on that. I'm pretty sure that I'm not gonna trust Marvel Comics for my historically accurate information. I mean, it's something. Yeah, I definitely would take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> So let's so, continue our time-traveling adventures. Yep. So we are now in issue 18, Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, The Dream, This Dream No More, The Dream is Dead. From September 1976. With Steve Englehart as the writer, Gene Colan, penciler, Tom Palmer, anchor, D. Wool, letterer, Key Goldberg, artist, or colorist, and art. It's a Denise and Petra, by the way. Oh. Okay. No, I'm just I'm, I'm just letting you know. And Petra Goldberg as colorist, and Archie Goodwin is the editor. Yes. So having said goodbye to Franny Bacon, Strange and Clea are once more traveling through time to the year 1775. All right. Where they just sort of magic their way aboard a ship to the Americas with Benjamin Franklin. Oh, yeah. Yep. I bet Benjamin Franklin did stuff that was way more exciting than combining, like, two different types of glasses or, like, flying a kite. But that's all anyone ever wants to talk about. So whatever, I guess. Wrote an almanac. Yeah. So three things, I guess. And a, and, he, and he made up basically every cliche. <laughs> yeah. So. But but so Doctor but so um, Ben Franklin instantly recognizes Doctor Strange and Clea from the writings of Francis, which is kind of weird. It is super weird, but you know Francis Bacon was like super in love with those two. So 
Mm-hmm. And I guess the, the order with which Francis Bacon uh, aligned himself was actually led by Benjamin Franklin. Again, that could all be made up because we're reading comic books, people. Yeah. Like, who knows? Not me. What I do know is that uh, Ben Franklin is straight up dirty macking on Clea. That is not cool. Well, so as they abort, they get aboard the ship, they realize that Stigaro is also boarding the ship. Ah, bro. Yeah, and this is also made a little bit more obvious. William Strange's introductions with Franklin are interrupted by a giant sea serpent. Oh, no. I love, I love giant sea monsters. I think that they're just so fascinating and really cool. And this is the lamest one I've ever seen. Oh, man. They just disappear immediately as soon as Strange tries to, like, take them on. And uh, so does Stigano. Then the next yeah. morning, because nothing happens for the rest of the night, Clea and Strange wake up in a fight because Clea feels like she's being ignored. And Strange is frustrated because he feels his work is super important and he can't ever put it off. And, like, I see where they're both coming from, honestly. He's like, I took you all the way to the 1700s. What do you want from me? Yeah, some attention, maybe. You're off, like flying ships and, you know, paying more attention to your sword fighting than you are me. Oh, dang. Yeah. So, anywho, Strange and Clea eventually discover that they, along with Benjamin Franklin, are the only people aboard the ship right now. Like, literally the only people. But thanks to the power of magic, they can keep on sailing. Yeah. Because Strange is making it windy. Until the sea just opens up in front of them and creates this, like, massive hole and these, like, giant, like, waterfalls. It goes all the way to the, the ocean floor. Yeah. And Strange just barely is able to stop the boat with, like, somewhat relative ease. And he tells Ben and Clea that he's going to fly to the bottom of the ocean and check it out. And then he's also locking Benjamin Franklin and Clea in a room together. And now I'm definitely siding with Clea here. Like, (laughs) dude, you're the master of the mist. Fly the boat over the hole. You don't need to check it out. Like, just keep going. Or, you know what? Even better, why don't you teleport everyone and everything to, like, old York or whatever it was called yeah. back then. I mean, Clea is like a reasonable sorceress. Like, she could definitely, in every fight that Doctor Strange makes her sit on the sidelines, she could be a helpful addition to the battle. Yep. There was You've a, seen it time and time again. There was a great issue where she and Doctor Strange had to team up to take on the Silver Dagger, yeah. and it was one of the best ones ever. And so now we go it's back happened to a couple, just like, yeah. yeah. It happened in their fight against Dormammu, too. Like, it keeps happening, and Doctor Strange keeps learning about it, possibly because he's just kind of a bad boyfriend, I think. Yep. Like I was saying, I'm on Clea's side right now. Hashtag Team Clea. Yeah. Get that trending. <laughs> so, inside the sea pit, Strange finds that he's in the ruins of Atlantis. Also, yeah. he finds a picture, or a painting, of young Stigano, which, like, no clue how that survived. Um, also, speak of the devil... But not the real one. We're done with him. He's dead. <laughs> the serpent from before shows up, and now it has Stigano's face on it, which is like all yeah. sorts of weird. So the sea Stigano starts breathing fire just to make things even crazier. But Strange is yeah, like that's pretty cool. able to just sort of like backhand it back at them. And the sea serpent like flees immediately, destroying what's left in Atlantis and causing the thousands of tons of water to come crashing down on Stephen Strange. But he's cool. He's just able to, like, fly out of there. He, like, mentions a comment about how he's, like, learned how to swim from Namor or something. Yeah, yeah in fact, he recognizes the place as um, Atlantis because he's talked to Namor about Atlantis, you know? Like, he's been to a more modern version of it a couple times, actually. Yep. And um, then Clay and Ben Franklin have sex. Then he, that's <laughs> the end of the comic. Guys, guys. <laughs> While Doctor Strange uh, is in Atlantis, uh, 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 Ben Franklin... 
and Clea drink a ton of wine, and they totally do it, you guys. They totally do it. They're drinking whiskey (laughs) for breakfast, and now we're on to the next issue. They're not going to pay any attention to that. Clea and Ben Franklin did it, guys. It happened. That's American history. Mystic Arts in Lo, the Powers Change It. Marv Wolfman, (laughs) writer-editor. Alfredo Piala Alcala, guest artist and letterer. And Michelle Wolfman, colorist. So the story starts off with this total goober named Xander the Great, which you know is a nickname he gave to himself. So I, I, I can't take anybody seriously named Xander after my years of watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I can't do it. There's never been a cool Xander. I, I'm sorry. Please give us a five-star rating and let us know if your name is Xander. Or if you're Xander Berkeley, who is kind of cool in sort of a, hey, it's that guy kind of way. All but, right. I guess there's one. Ex- not this guy. Not this Xander. This Xander's hella lame. Xander the Great is lame as heck. So he's going on about how he's enacting a plan to kill Strange and take control once and for all. And then there's this order of robed figures that he's talking to. And they're all like, yeah, we know. We're the ones who made up the plan. And we're the ones who hired you. What are you even talking about, my man? (laughs) Yeah, these guys are the creators. They're evil. Yeah. Because they have no faith in And apparently their plan is to get rid of science and replace it with magic and get world control and all that jazz. Also, to prove his worth, Xander creates an image of Strange and then kills it as though that, like, proves anything. But, you know, we all know it doesn't. We just know that's showboating. Yeah, I mean, Silver Dagger did the same thing and it didn't work out for him back in the day. Yeah. And he took the time to, like, actually mold it out of wax. Right, instead of just magicking it. Which is lazy. So, cut to Strange, flying around, being really upset about Clea and Benjamin Franklin's love affair. And so Strange just teleports into Ben's house and melts him with a laser blast. Oh, no! Yeah, it's okay. Turns out that it was all a fake created by Stigano, who then appears and creates, like, a massive earthquake, which allows him to kidnap Clea and... Yeah, it turns out that, I guess, right in the current date, uh, Ben Franklin is at the Second Continental Congress, so he couldn't be there dirty macking with Clay in Philadelphia or whatever. Which I know you all were screaming into your podcast about. You're like, no, it's not physically possible for him to be there. But they they thought two steps ahead of you. They've been there for a month or two, though, I think. So <laughs> yeah, I uh, choose to believe that it was ben, it was actual Ben Franklin on the boat. And he was only swapped out recently. Well, because <laughs> that's too funny for me. We'll get to that. So Strange ca- ceases the movement of time and rips himself backwards. And apparently this specific form of time travel is really painful. So, OK. Anywho, Strange realizes that everything he's been dealing with has all been a test given to him by the Ancient One, which he doesn't know why he's being tested. But I guess that's part of the test, too. It's like tests mm-hmm. on tests. So yeah, he sees the head of the ancient, and the ancient one's really young in the in the presentation, or in the uh, his astral head is a very young head of the ancient one. It makes it hard to recognize him. I, in, in my opinion, I just take their, I just take them at face value. Yeah, no, for sure. So strange, and the real Clea eventually say goodbye to Brent Franklin. It turns out that even Clea's like, side with the love affair wasn't real. <laughs> so take that, Conrad. Uh, and now the two tra- time travel back to their period, upon which they're greeted by hundreds of skeletons that just immediately become animate. And Strange yeah. is able to take them. He just starts levers of blasting them, taking them all out, until all of a sudden Clea becomes a skeleton, at which point he refuses to retaliate. 
Yeah. I think it's that they've teleported back to Earth, but it's the Earth that Eternity destroyed everybody on. Mm. Oh, right. So, they just want to rub it in that Strange is the only one who's really alive. Yeah, so everybody's basically freaking out about the fact that um, they died and Strange lived and Survivor's remorse and blah, blah, blah. Right. And so when Strange refuses to kill Skeleton Clea, he... Skeleton Clea is pretty cool, by the way. It's still got her Clea hair and the her like big shoulder pads thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Strange finally realizes what the whole purpose of the test is, and he calls out to the Ancient One, and he tells the Ancient One that he re- rejects his offer to ascend to the heavens and take on truly his position of Sorcerer Supreme. Right, and being one with the universe. Yep. He's like, no way. Yep. I'm going to stay a human. And so the Ancient One tells Strange that he loves him and then turns Strange back to being just a human who is still also the master of the mystic arts. Right, but Sorcerer Supreme no more. Where she's like, okay, this comic was insane. And not the, oh, they're all on acid, so I guess I saw this coming level of insane. This is like a whole different sort of thing. Right. Yeah, this whole series kind of feels like weird and like kind of ha- like rushed, I'd say. Yeah, it's like, oh, we could do like a whole science thing and like teach some history or something like that. And then they decided not to look up anything from their library and yeah. just made it up as they went. And then it's kind of like, oh, Doctor Strange has been too powerful recently because he's been Sorcerer Supreme. So let's like take that away from him or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. How how do you feel as someone who's like a, a strong supporter of Stephen Strange to have him sort of get this like backpedaling? I'm not too worried about it because I know it's going to happen. I guess <laughs> I was I was kind of bummed about it when it happened just because I kind of like him. I like Doctor Strange being Sorcerer Supreme and having the power and stuff like that. Right. But I he still stays reasonably powerful and he's still in charge of like fighting off mystic threats and stuff. Like, nominally, there's no real difference. It's not like there's a new Sorcerer Supreme that Doctor Strange has to be, like, a, a lackey of, you know? Okay. Yeah, I, I guess and, I understand with that. Yeah. Like, it's just sort of a, oh, like, you know, here's a... Honestly, I like it when Doctor Strange has problems and setbacks, you know? Right. I mean, Sometimes you've got something that's, I, like, uh, actually compelling and challenging. Yeah, I mean, I feel like one of the charges that can be dropped against Doctor Strange sometimes is that he just kind of pulls through semi-easily a lot. Yeah. That's definitely like true. he kind of like he kind of knows his he kind of has these powers and they're he's very powerful and his abilities are por- are poorly defined that allows him to just kind of you know oh I got to cast a powerful spell oh that didn't work I got to cast a more powerful spell you oh, know oh it's a Dracula I know what to do right and so having things that depower him and sort of or set him back and make him not all powerful I'm 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 generally fine with it's it's okay. You know, I don't want him to be totally depowered, but forcing him to have to sort of work for things and all that is an impor- is is a good way to write Doctor Strange. I get that, but so here we are, Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, U twenty. Call me Xander the Merciless. He's nah. giving himself nicknames. I'm not going to call him that. I'm not at all going to call him that. I'll call him <laughs> like maybe Xander if he's nice. So Marv Wolfman is the writer editor. Rudy Nebres is the guest artist. John Costanza is the letterer, and Marie Severin is the colorist. And it just, like, this cover is awesome. Strange is, like, reeling in space as Xander leaps through a space door to deliver him, like, an uppercut straight to Stephen Strange's (laughs) mouth. Um, But that's just the cover, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Ah. We start the story off where we usually start these stories with Doctor Strange and Clea, last name, breaking into the Natural History Museum. Oh, yeah. Stephen's got a hot tip that there's some spooky dealings going on down here. 
and he's immediately vindicated when all these Roman statues come to life and start attacking yeah. Strange. Bad times. Having recently been weakened in the last issue, is overpowered by all these statues and allows them the chance to kidnap Clay and escape. So Strange summons the last of his strength and destroys like all of them with a final blast and begins just racing around the museum looking for her. And he finally discovers her in the Egyptian section, hiding in a mummy's tomb, and she's all wrapped up in toilet paper. Uh. The art here is actually pretty fun as he sort of goes through the museum and stuff. It's very crowded in a way that I wouldn't think a museum actually would be. No, I love it. Ru- Rudy Nebras needs to be like hired on full time. The level of detail through this comic is incredible. Yeah, but there's all these like he goes through like all these Roman statuaries, these dioramas of cavemen and then like big mammals and dinosaurs and stuff. It's very cool. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. So Right when he drops his guard, Strange is attacked from behind by Xander the Dweeb. And Xander. a total magical row breaks out, uh, with, and Xander just rips Strange into an alternate plane. Meanwhile, Night Security stumbles across Clea, who has appeared to lose all of her memories. So, of course, she's arrested and put into a holding cell, where she does one of the most brutal things in the entire comic. It's so cool. It's such a big change from how Valkyrie was in the in prison when she was all like just wanted people to leave her alone and stuff. Yeah. So there's this cellmate who's being all threatening, right? And Clea just phases her halfway through a wall. She doesn't even really know how she does it. But so then you just like see. He just pushes her and she goes halfway in the wall and stops. Yep. And so then you just see later on this like dead hanging half out of concrete. Yeah. Like. Now this this lady's dead for sure, it's man. Crazy. And then, as though that's not enough, she... and Cleus also straight up blasts through the wall of the prison and just sort of leaves. And on her way out, she turns a vagrant into a pig. Yep. So that's her. So meanwhile, back with Strange and Xander Dorkius Maximus. Uh, Stephen Strange is barely holding his own. He's like breaking free from bindings. He's repelling like laser blasts or like, turning off magical tornadoes. But he's like always on the defensive. He realizes that his weakened state. His magical abilities are no match for Xander. Mm-hmm. But there's one thing he can do. So he just walks up and punches Xander in his big dumb face. Oh, yeah. Which is, feels really good. I got to be honest. And so <laughs> finally, Stephen Strange gets a glimpse of the hooded figures who have been tormenting him so. And then we cut back to Clea, and she's surrounded by armed police officers while she's like charging up a giant spell. And it's about to go down. Yeah. Also, we realize, or Dr. Like, Xander claims that he and his bosses are responsible for Doctor Strange losing his powers and being demoted. Oh, yeah. Which is a really complex series of machinations, if true. Because it means that these guys controlled Nightmare, who in turn controlled Eternity to destroy the world and remake it. And then they controlled the Ancient One to use that destroyed world as a test to demote Doctor Strange. Like, that's complicated. I'm just saying. Yeah, and they must have controlled Stigano to, like mess with him on his time traveling vacation mm-hmm. like and you know what they probably controlled uh benjamin franklin to try and pull a rift between strange and clea certainly possible but so this adventure takes us to dr strange annual number one from december 1976 and there will be worlds anew p craig p craig russell co-plot art and colors. John Costanza letterer, 
Marv Wolfman co-plotter and script and editor. So this comic is really more of like a 35-page showcase of P. Craig Russell's awesome artwork than it is anything else. Yeah, he's really like taking the brunt of the work on this one. He's doing a ton of it, and it's basically... It's just a really awesome thing. His art's really nice. Yeah, this is really cool across the board. He's, he's like, really capturing like the strange sort of like cutting ties with reality and breaking out of like the bindings of yeah. just normal confides. Yeah, he creates these worlds full of like trippy imagery and it's really fantastic and, work, and worth checking out. It's all uh, crazy floating islands and seascapes and gossamer towers and stuff. I'm going to try to post a bunch of stuff from this episode on Facebook this week just because this stuff's really worth worth looking at and checking out. So I think you owe it to yourself or whatever. If you like the podcast, I think because we're sort of in an audio medium, it's hard to get this visual stuff across. But I think it's you should definitely take a look. It's really a lab. It reminds me of some of like the, the Return to Oz movie, if you've ever seen mm. that, or some like you know, The Labyrinth or Mirror Mask, so, like yeah. the Henson movies. I could see that for sure. So we start with Doctor Strange back at the Sanctum and sort of worried about where Clea is as, you know, she's now being, like, cornered by the cops or whatever. He um, meditates on it and suddenly an image of the Ancient One appears and tells him that he's been focusing on magic stuff and, and neglecting their relationship and he has to seek her beyond the veil in the Temple of Man Dang. in the Book of Knowledge. Dang, even the Ancient One gets it. Yeah. So let's get going. Uh, we go beyond the veil to the Temple of Man, as you do. And we find that it's a big monastery. And inside of it, all the monks have been killed, except for like two people, basically. Doctor Strange investigates, eventually checking out the Book of Knowledge and finding out that Clea has been taken to Phase World. What's Phase World? I, I don't know, but Doctor Strange does. And he creates a portal with his amulet and goes there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Phase World turns out to be this amazing, awesome, twisting magical landscape ruled by a lady with a huge hat named Lectra. They wizard fight for a bit, and it's revealed that Lectra has Clea hostage, and Strange is forced to team up with her to, in the end, save Clea. Thus, the two take a Viking longboat across the magical to the equally magic city of Alondra. This art is so, so rad. I'm sorry to yeah. keep cutting you off talking about the same stuff, but just no, please. as it goes on, everything just so well fits the style of Stephen Strange. What you want is like really cool and like intriguing landscapes, fantastically composed shots. It's just awesome across the board. Absolutely, yeah. I love it a lot. The, so, Alandra's all gossamer spires and crazy gargoyle, and it ends with a showdown between Lectra and her sister Phaedra, and Phaedra's pet talking swan for control of Phase World. That's an unfair fight. It, there's a lot going on. <laughs> uh, the swan ends up turning into a uh, blonde angel dude, and it events, it's eventually revealed that a lot of this stuff, uh, message from the Ancient One, the dead priests at the temple, were all illusions to force Doctor Strange to come to Phase World so Lectra could seduce him. Is it working? It is not. Oh, bummer. In fact, the story ends with Phase World being destroyed and Doctor Strange falling through space to parts unknown. I gotta be honest, I already missed Phase World. It was cool. It is cool. So, while we've talked about how the art for this comic is great, 
uh, P. Craig Russell had some serious problems with the writing of the story. Wasn't that him how, too? What? Wasn't that him also? Like his writing credit is because he because Marv Wolfman was supposed to be writing it, and Russell really didn't like where where Wolfman went with it, and so he sort of came back in and did some changes to the story and stuff. So he got a writing credit for it too, but sort of the two of them basically fought for three years over the content of this issue and stuff. Oh man. Um. And so it led to the story to this it, to this comic basically being like remade or maybe remastered or something might be the the, the better word with more modern art and a different writer in a one in a one shot comic. Go ahead, Duncan. I'm just saying that's kind of a bummer. The art in this is incredible. And do they change the the story when you say a different writer? The big change is that because it's released in like 1997. Um, they're, he's saving Wong instead of Clea. Mm. But otherwise, it's basically the same story. Some things sort of change a little bit, and it's about 15 pages longer. But it's released as, uh, What Is It That Disturbs You, Stephen? Which comes at, that, that's the title of the, of, the, of the comic. And it came out in 1997. We'll cover it then, and I think when we get to it in the timeline. Okay. And, we'll, and I'll try, and you know, Duncan, you, you should definitely come back for that one, and let's uh, compare and contrast these two editions. Wait, you mean I can leave? Let's take this offline. <laughs> I'll give you a hint, though. I think the newer one's better. The art is really crisp and like is is way more crisp than the version we have now. And the longer story makes things really interesting. Okay. And that takes us to Doctor Strange twenty one from February nineteen seventy seven. Which in this comic is a lie. What? In what it's way? Because the cover right is. Clay has gone mad, and I can't stop her without destroying her. The most shocking story of all. Sorcerer against the woman he loves. And it's Doctor Strange and Clay sort of flying around inside New York City. There's green vines all over the place and overturned cars and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then on the inside, it's the coming of Doctor Strange, Stan Lee editor, Roy Thomas writer, Dan Adkins artist, Artie Semek letterer. Wait, what happened? What, what just happened? In, it's, a, it's a reprint of the uparted Doctor Strange origin story from Doctor Strange, Volume 1, Number 169, from June 1968. Wait, there's no there's no new episode art. of the podcast. There's nothing new in this thing at all. There's no new framing. There's no framing pages or anything. What the heck? The only, the only difference is that at the very end, there's a new, like, next issue thing. How can they it's do new. that? How can they do that? It's like, just imagine being, like, a kid in February 1977. You're still, like, six months away from Star Wars, so you don't even have that. <laughs> and, and your strange is lying to you. Is life worth and, living? And you spent your, your 30 cents on uh, Doctor Strange. They just put a new cover on it. And it's just a new cover on a comic from, like, 1964. What happened? Why would they do it this? Have, they must have hit deadlines or something. That's usually what it is. My goodness. Yeah, it sucks. And usually I would have just skipped this one, but I had some timing things with this issue. It has a, you know, I had to do reprints, basically. Yep. I'm glad you got <laughs> this one. It's a terrible way to end the episode, and I apologize completely. Come back next week where Doctor Strange must fight the woman he loves with the fate of the entire city in the balance. Don't miss Mind Trip or whatever. I don't know. If you can even trust that that's going to be a new issue. Oh, it, it'll, it, you know. You can't really, but it will be. Hey, what'd you think of the second half of the comics, Duncan? Well, I thought that the like trippy one that you talked about was amazing. Annual, yeah, the yeah, annual, the annual one was really awesome. Nice. Time traveling 
Ben Franklin romance was miserable. And then, like, I'm getting so tired of everything being a test. Even if this test was, like, oh, it turns out that this test was, like, all an evil scheme. Like, you still got a test. Mm-hmm. That just means you, like, kind of like whenever you blow up the world and remake it. It's like, so you guys just wrote yourself into a corner. That's what happened, huh? <laughs> yeah. Something. I feel like at this point, like, I feel like everybody's sort of come down off LSD and is trying to sort of figure out how things should go from here, you know? Yeah. They might so need to like, go back for a second. Yeah. There's like a one year period where everything is totally insane and nobody knows what's happening and everybody's just furiously writing things. Yeah. I think between Hulk's like awesome adventure and the issue where Stephen Strange just like tripping the rift, that was, mm-hmm. I still think that this whole like episode was awesome for those two things. Those two things. Are, are such bright shining moments that they outshine how disappointing this last episode is. Yeah, like, this one's a tough one. I'm ho- things should pick up. I I can't promise it'll happen right away. I just, no, no, I'm, I'm not saying like but, anything against like this the Satan fight or anything like that, but just for them to put a different cover on an old comic, I feel really upset and like offended by yeah, that. No, it's it's a tough one for sure. But other than that, but, it hey, was still really cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean. The Hulk and the, basically the two annuals in this issue, like the Hulk annual and the Doctor Strange annual, are both like the Hulk annual is a lot of fun. The Doctor Strange annual is really an amazing piece of art. Yep. And they help elevate the other stuff, you know. So if all you readers out there are kind of stressed because you're like not keeping up with the podcast and your readings, you can skip a bunch from this one. Yeah, man. The uh, the teens of the Doctor Strange solo comic missable. <laughs> so. If you'd like to con- yeah. <laughs> so if you'd like to contact the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com or interact with the show on Facebook and Instagram at strangerbythedozen. You can find us on Twitter at strangerbythedozen, that's strangerbythedozen, and on Tumblr at strangerbythedozen.com. During the week, I'll post a bunch of images and quotes from the issues covered, so keep an eye out. Stranger by the Dozen is on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and any other podcatching app. And remember, if you leave a five-star review on any platform, I'll read it on the show. If you want to contact Duncan, point your magic internet er orb in his direction, and he will find you instead. Yeah, or just, like, splash water in your face, turn off the lights in the bathroom, spin around three times, and say Gambit. Ooh, I don't want to talk about Gambit. I know, it's spooky. Next week... The showdown between Doctor Strange and Clea. Then Doctor Strange fights... No, it'll happen. (laughs) Doctor Strange fights the creators across a number of amazingly drawn dimensions. And the in-betweener shows up and is fabulous. Doctor Strange will punch Ghost Rider in the face and then return to the Defenders to beat up those jerks from AIM. Yeah. Until then, faithful listener... I say, stares intently at the glowing orb, studying the gray mist shapes which swirl vaguely before him. He knows, and he is aware of what he sees, but he is not at all pleased. There will be a battle, and the thought of this irrevocable fight bothers him. Perhaps it is because he has somehow seen the future glowing dimly behind the intangible shapes within the orb. And perhaps he knows that before this night is out, he will die. His name is Doctor Strange, and he is master of the mystic arts. But not even the power implicit in that distinction 
shall save him when the midnight bells toll their final deadly peal. My name is Conrad, and for my buddy Duncan, this is Stranger by the Dozen. May the Vishanti guide your path. Mon ami.